Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good evening, everyone. Great to see you at church tonight. Um, looking forward to opening up Romans chapter 12 with you. I'm Michael, one of the pastors here at Salt. If I haven't met you, I'd love to uh, meet you tonight. I'm going to pray now as we, we get into the Word, and then we're actually going to celebrate communion tonight as well. So look forward to, to that after our Q&A. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd still us now, help us to listen, help us to hear you speak to us as, as your Word is opened up. Uh, Father, by your Spirit, change us. Uh, help us to respond in a way that pleases you. Help us to see Jesus clearly. We pray it all for his sake. Amen. Well, here we are in our last talk in Romans chapter 12. And if you've been with us through the Romans 12 series, it's been a powerful chapter. Yeah? Uh, and it's going to finish uh, powerfully tonight. It's a, there's actually a punch at the end of the chapter. There's a sting in the tail. So listen out for that. But before we get there, a little recap on where we've come. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do a fly around. We're going to start at verse 1, big picture, and then land back in verse 17 to hit the punch of the, of the chapter. So where have we come? We started in verse 1. Look there, open up Romans chapter 12. Um, Having received the deep, deep mercy of God. That's where we started. That's what it means to be a Christian. Deep mercy of God. You're a forgiven person. What does it now look like to live your life as a living sacrifice? What does it mean to worship God in all of life? Uh, What's God doing? He's transforming us by the renewing of our minds. And that's what the whole chapter's been about. And hopefully you've seen what a radically different life that is. Uh, What a radically good life that is. In particular, I picked this up with you a couple of weeks ago, it's a life of love. Uh, In fact, you could describe the Christian life as exactly that. It's all about love. Remember what Jesus said? uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. There it is. That's what it means to be Christian. That, That sums up the whole Old Testament law. That's who God is. Uh, We touched on this a couple of weeks ago, 1 John, God is love. Um, That's the person that you have been connected to through Jesus and he's shown you what love is. He's demonstrated it in the Lord Jesus. Uh, How did he do it? It's through the atoning sacrifice on the cross. It's an action. Uh, It's something that God does for us. It's not a feeling. It's not not about romance. It's a verb. It's something God does. Uh, for us. It's actually our distinguishing mark. Uh, As Christians, we're called to love. Jesus says, that's how people will know that you're my disciples, because you love one another. It's so love is so serious that in 1 John it says, if you don't love, you haven't got God. You're not a Christian. That's how serious it is. Uh, Ephesians, we looked at briefly, it's how God will grow his church as we speak the truth in love to one another. And 1 Corinthians says, love is eternal. It's the thing that will last. It's the thing that's worth pursuing of all things. Go for love. Uh, You see how big love is. Love knows no boundaries. It's everything in the Christian life. It's not whether you should love or not. It's what does love look like in this situation? What does it look like for me to love God? 
What does it look like for me to love others in this situation? So here we are, Romans chapter 12. We've even picked it up uh, before. Look at verse 9. Love must be sincere. You can't fake love. You mustn't be a hypocrite in this regard. There's no shortcuts. It's about genuine love. But here's the punch at the end of this chapter. Love goes this far. Here it is. You're even to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now we're getting to the serious part of the chapter. Uh, Love those who are against you. Love those who despise you. Love those who uh, have a disdain for you, who are indifferent to you, even hate you. Uh, We've seen it before in Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Or have, have a closer look at the passage tonight. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Or verse 19, do not take revenge. Or verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is incredibly radical, isn't it? There is the distinctive mark of a Christian. Uh, You've been served up evil, return served with good. Uh, Love your enemies, don't despise them. Uh, Don't be indifferent to them, don't shame them, don't cancel them, love them. Here's where we stand out as followers of Jesus. Here's another one of those ways where God is transforming the way we think, uh, to renew us, to change us, to transform us. It's uh, it's exactly what Jesus said. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, he says, actually anyone can love their friends, anyone can love the person who loves you back. We love to love those people. But Jesus says, if you want to be like God, if you want to be perfect like your Father in heaven, you need to love your enemies because that's what God does. God lets his sun shine on the good and the evil. He lets his rain, he, he rains down on those who are both good and evil. Be like your Father in heaven, the God of mercy, the God who's been incredibly merciful to you. Love your enemies. I remember teaching this to a primary school class a few years ago. I think it was a year five class. And the classroom teacher was, I've got to say, a particularly nasty teacher. Uh, she would shout at the kids, unfortunately. Uh, so there, there they are. The kids are getting shouted at every day. And then I'd walk into the room and I'd think, I've got to do this a little bit differently. Uh, I'm not going to shout at them. But she would even shout and interject into my lesson. So as I'm teaching... She, you'd hear her say, put that pencil down. And then it would come back to me and I'd say, and then Jesus said, love your enemies. It was, it was an interesting time, an interesting dynamic in the classroom, but you could see one kid grappling with this question. How do you love your enemies? And he puts his hand up and he says, sir, what do you do when your enemy is your teacher? And it was just the most awkward moment. But, like, he's got it. There's the person that I'm having such difficulty with. She's against me. Jesus says, love her. I read this week, there's a Scottish proverb that says, the worst thing in life is to die without enemies. Sounds kind of weird, but no enemies means you've never stood for anything. I reckon that the Bible's saying something even more 
to make peace. Uh, you've got to get that. God is passionate about peace. God, what did, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers. God is a massive, massive peacemaker. That's why he sent Jesus into the world, to make peace with us and so that we might have peace with one another. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you've got to be on about peace and you've got to do all you can to make peace. You've got to go all the way to forgive. But you've also got to remember that sometimes forgiveness will mean you can't reconcile because you've done all that you can. Or sometimes the hurt will be so significant that you'll realise, actually, I've got to keep forgiving. I'm, being, I'm reminded again of the offence and I need to keep forgiving this person. Or I've been reminded of the extent of the offence and so I need to dig deeper in my uh, forgiveness. It'll be a journey. I reckon forgiveness will also mean that, that you might get to the situation and it very well could be the situation where you can't trust that person again. Not only is it not reconciled, there's, a, there's now distrust. But you do all you can to make peace. And I reckon it's about knowing what you have control over and knowing what you don't have control over, what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for. Really important to get the, those two clear in your mind. It's, I reckon, the difference between goals and desires. A helpful distinction. So a goal, what's a goal? A goal is something you do have control over, something you do have responsibility to see happen, something that you can actively work towards. Of course, it's always under God's sovereignty. Uh, but that's different to a desire, something that you really want to see happen, uh, but you don't have control over the outcome. You might be able to influence the outcome, uh, but you don't have control. That's a desire. Uh, and that's very helpful as you think about uh, reconcil- reconciling with people. It's also re- really helpful for lots of other areas in life, helpful for our vision at church. If you think about our vision, it's a massive vision. It's a prayer. It's a desire, isn't it? to see a flood of lifelong disciples across the Illawarra and beyond, that is so huge, that is so beyond us. Uh, humanly speaking, we can't make one person become a disciple. And so it's a prayer. We lean on God. That's, a, that's our desire. That's God's desire. But it's in his hands. Uh, he will be the one to see hundreds and thousands of people become disciples of Jesus. Which doesn't mean I don't have a part. I can influence that. God has actually involved us in that. I can set goals towards that end. I can pray. I can share Jesus with the city. Make sure you grab something, the litter box thing, um, tonight. Um, I can invite someone. I can be disciplined and have goals towards that end. Uh, I can take up my responsibility for the mission, uh, even if God is in control. I reckon there's, um, there's a fantastic prayer that was made famous in the 1930s, which often gets a really hard time. It was written by an American pastor. Uh, it's called the Serenity Prayer. I don't know whether you've, whether you've heard it. Often you see it on um, crocheted on someone's wall or whatever. Um, probably your grandma's. I don't know. Uh, here's the words. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. I reckon it's really helpful. Um, There are things that you need to change, that you need to get on with and you need courage to be able to do it. 
But then there's other things that you need to accept are outside of your control. Uh, and you need wisdom to know the difference between the two. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But you know, when you're, when you're profoundly hurt, what's the most natural thing to do? The most natural thing to do is to want them to suffer, to want payback. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but it's really interesting to me that uh, so many of our heroes, uh, our movie uh, heroes uh, and our movies are about vigilantes, revenge and judgment. (laughs) Have you noticed this? Or maybe it's just me. Um, Heroes who take the law into their hands. We love it when someone goes rogue and says, I'm going to deal with it. Uh, I'm sick of the injustice Um, you're going to pay, I'm going to make you pay, and and it's going to happen now. Um, So what's some examples? Here's one on the screen. It was one of the heroes that someone put up before, Arnie Schwarzenegger. Who's the... Anyone going to admit they're an Arnie Schwarzenegger? (laughs) Ben? I can't believe that Arnie Schwarzenegger became the governor of California. Can you... What? How does that happen? Um, There he is, sitting in the Senate or whatever... It's, it's the Terminator. <laughs> um, now, it depends on... Most of you guys are, are too young for this, but um, some older ones. Clint Eastwood, uh, Bruce Willis, uh, more modern examples, Spider-Man, Batman. Someone's told me that even Harry Potter turns vigilante. Is this true? Um, I haven't read them all. I can admit. I know that's a, a, a sin in some people's world. Um, Here's a really good one. Jason Bourne, Bourne Identity. Um, How good is it in movies when you see the good guy chasing the bad guy while at the same time he's being chased by the cops? Uh, That's that picture, isn't it, of the rogue, the vigilante. Um, I reckon we love it so much because it just suits our world, doesn't it? Our world, we said something about we love justice, but it says, you know, our world is full of injustice, even the systems that we've set up are corrupt, and when someone says, no, I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to deal with it swiftly and rightly, I'm going to right this wrong, we, we go, yep, yeah, that's my hero. But you know, the, the thing that this passage says here is actually, don't do it. Don't retaliate. Don't take revenge. Look at verse 19. Do not take revenge. Now, you might confront your enemy... That would be a good thing, perhaps, for you and for them. Uh, we're not, I don't think it's saying we're, call, we're not called to be doormats. That's different to humiliating them. Um, you might call the relevant authorities, and sometimes, you, depending on what it is, you should call the relevant authorities. That doesn't mean you have to personally punish them. Um, you may need to use force to restrain them from doing further evil or harming someone else, but don't cross the line and use excessive force. Uh, it's, it's the model that Jesus used. Remember when Jesus was struck by the high priest, uh, his official, uh, just leading up to his trial. Jesus is speaking the truth. He confronts the, he dares to confront the high priest. Jesus cops a slap in the face. And there Jesus could have finished him there and there on the spot. He could have landed judgment on him. Of all people, Jesus could have gone rogue. But Jesus doesn't retaliate but he does confront the official. He does 
calmly confront his enemy and, and, and says to him, if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? There's our model. Resist revenge. Resist the temptation to retaliate. And it's very hard to do. Uh, I remember several years ago when we lived in Sydney, uh, we had an unfortunate event. We, we had someone invade our home uh, when we were in our home late at night, early in the early hours of one morning. A guy decided to jump in our bathroom window, uh, which I didn't think was big enough for someone to get through, but he did. Uh, so it was, it was a bit of a scary experience. I woke up to, to Nats crying, calling my name out. Um, I'm not the hero in this story. Um, I was petrified. Uh, a guy wandering around our house from room to room looking for things to steal. Me trying to chase him out being... He's, he's the hero in me. I'm one room back from him at every point <laughs> until he finally lands in the laundry and we're having a conversation with the security of the laundry door between me and him and then he runs out the... Uh, uh, he jumps out the, win- the laundry window and I've, I never saw his face and I never saw him again. And I thought, I'm so angry about this because when the police turn up, it's, it's you know, you know that... I mean, this happens quite regularly, break-ins. I mean, it, it was an aggravated one, but I think this guy's just going to get away with it. This is another case of crime that just uh, never gets called to account. Uh, how good would it be, I was fantasising, that the story's different, that he actually gets to suffer, that I become the hero, that I beat him up? And, um, and then a few months later... Um, the police contact me and they say, well, they've actually caught the guy and they've put him in prison. And a friend of mine who works in Sydney's prison system, it's really good to have someone on the inside, um, he actually told me I know which prison he's in. And I must have told that to a young guy at church, a young guy who'd just become a Christian uh, that year. And this young guy said to me, uh, Michael, are you going to go and visit him in prison? And I remember my reaction was, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm really angry. Um, I don't feel like visiting this guy. Um, I, I don't want the best for this guy. That's how I remember feeling. Uh, and then I realised, actually, he's spot on. He's this young Christian man who's actually got it. Uh, that would be the right thing to do. And I, and I remember over the, you know, the Spirit of God changing my heart that, to pray for him. Uh, to actually uh, change my heart towards him. And you think to yourself, who does that? That's following Jesus. But think about it more. How does, how does an abuse victim forgive a perpetrator? How does the abuse victim get to the point where they're no longer hating on the perpetrator? How do they get to the point where they actually want good for the perpetrator? They actually pray for the perpetrator. They actually want the perpetrator to be forgiven. What's, what's the cure for not taking matters into your own hands? Well, it's in, in verse 19. Have a look at verse 19. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's anger. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So you leave it to God. He's the judge. God will repay. And you must believe that or else you will take matters into your own home, especially when you face matters into your own 
hands, especially when you face injustice. Now, what does it mean, leave room for God's wrath? I reckon it means at least two things in Romans, and possibly more, but here's two. Um, the first one is not as obvious, but if you look in chapter 13, the, the word wrath and God's wrath is used there again, and it's referring to people in authority, governments, uh, rulers, who are there to, to punish people who do wrong. That's one way that God will exercise his judgment, his wrath, through government, through the courts, if you like. Uh, look at it in chapter 13, verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, agents of anger, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. But the second way that I reckon you leave room for God's wrath is what we're reminded across the whole of the New Testament, and that is the great judgment to come. That Jesus, the perfect judge, will come and judge every single person perfectly. No one will get away with anything on that final day. Leave room for God's wrath. You must be clear on that, or you will not cope in a world full of injustices. What is the thing that will help you hang in there? What is the thing that will prevent you from retaliating? You need a firm grip on the judgment to come. And it's not just those big injustices. I reckon some of us have, a, have trouble with even the smallest injustices. Um, some of us have um, a very low tolerance for anyone doing the smallest thing to us, the smallest offence the smallest wrong, uh, whether it's on the road or at work, um, or we harbour grudges against people that we should be forgiving. Uh, we take forgiveness richly from God and yet we don't extend it richly to others. Uh, I heard a great line this week, to hold a grudge is to forget the judge. It's not our place to, to hold a grudge. And I reckon your ability to forgive your ability to show grace uh, is proportional to your faith in God's justice, that God will deal with it. And you'll realise that more and more, the more you get pushed into injustice. Um, there was a story on 60 Minutes uh, quite a few years ago, uh, a man who'd faced a massive injustice. Uh, he lost his wife, uh, it's the story of Anita Cobby. Some pictures we've got on the screen. Um, some of you might have heard, in, very famous in Australian criminal history. In 1986, she was brutally murdered um, and, and the perpetrators were caught and had got life in prison. But her husband, John Cobby, could never really live with himself for the rest of his life. Um, he turned to drugs and alcohol. He... He left Australia a day after her funeral and went to the United States to be anonymous. Um, he blamed himself for her murder because he wasn't there on the night. Um, they had a great marriage. They were living a great life in Sydney. They were travelling overseas, establishing their careers. And he was incredibly angry that his wife had been treated so, poor, so badly and, she, and been murdered. And that the high point of the interview in, on 60 Minutes was the interviewer saying to, looking him in the eye and saying, what would you do if those men 
were ever released from prison. And he said, immediately, there's no question, I would kill them. And I reckon uh, at that point, I mean, how can you not have sympathy for a man in that situation? Uh, I reckon at that point, you know, there's, a, there's how many millions of Australians watching 60 Minutes that night, um, knowing that I know murder is wrong, but surely it's justified for him. And you think to yourself, what would change his heart? What would mean that he gave a different answer? What would stop you from taking matters into your own hands? And isn't it exactly what Romans 12 is saying? Know that God is the judge, that God will avenge. God will repay. Well, have a look, verse 19, it goes further. Uh, Not only don't take revenge, do good to your enemies. Uh, Paul quotes in 19 a proverb from the Old Testament. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's a strange little proverb, isn't it? I mean, strange enough that we're lavish kindness on them, um, shower them with, with kindness, drown them with mercy, um, love them to bits, nail them with good deeds. It's, it's massive, but then this will heap burning coals on their head. I don't think it means this will mean they'll face the judgment in the end. I don't think that's the act of love and the kindness that you're showing to them. But I reckon it's... Um, your act of kindness towards them uh, will mean that they experience some form of judgment and thought and perhaps shame of what they have done in the here and now and have opportunity to repent before the judgment comes. I think that's what showing kindness and love towards them um, happens because when you do that, all of a sudden, they're left with their deeds. They're left to focus on what they have done. Because you're not aggressive towards them, because you're not hating on them, they're not focused on you and your bad response. They're actually focused on them and what they have done. And they're doing that in a way that I think uh, they wouldn't have done if you were vindictive towards them. And it's very powerful, isn't it? It's what, it's what Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. Uh, Jesus didn't retaliate. Jesus didn't sin. It was very clear he's the innocent one, they are the guilty ones. The end of the cross, the the greatest good to come out of the greatest evil. Who is to blame? We killed the Lord Jesus. It was nothing to do with Jesus, it was to do with us. Very powerful. And I reckon it's very powerful in the life of Christians as well. I've shared this before, but this woman, Rachel Denhollander, uh, incredibly brave woman in the United States. She was one of the Olympic gymnasts. Uh, survivor of sexual abuse in the USA uh, gymnast team, 2017. Um, The abuser was Larry Nasser, the team doctor. And she stands up in court and shows incredible strength as she reads out her victim statement. And so many times the the judge must see um, aggression and anger, um, even physical violence towards the perpetrator. Um, wanting them to rot in hell or whatever phrases they might want to use. And she stands up not by hating him, not being, by being aggressive towards him, and not minimising what he's done, and not um, saying he doesn't deserve the heavy sentence that he got, but extending forgiveness to him. 
incredibly powerful and saying that she's praying for him and also saying to him a severe warning that if you do not repent, you will face something even worse at the judgment. How does she have that strength to do that? Her confidence is in God, isn't it? Her confidence is in God's justice. She really believes that Jesus makes a difference. She really believes in the judgment to come. I reckon it makes a massive difference uh, to a whole culture, when a whole culture thinks that way. When a whole culture is built on confidence that God is the judge. That Yes, he's exercising his judgment through the courts, but in the imperfection of all that, in the injustice of this world, there is a judgment to come and God will execute it finally and perfectly. And that means that we can show grace and mercy even now. But when a culture loses sight of the gospel, when a culture loses sight of God's justice, when a culture no longer believes there, isn't, there is even a God who is a judge, what kind of culture do you think you get? You get a vindictive culture. You get a culture that says, we need to pay back now. We need to retaliate. You get a culture of instant karma. I reckon that's our culture as we lose sight of God, the judge. If we lose sight, as we lose sight of the gospel and lose sight of Jesus, the judge, we've become less gracious. We've become uh, less willing to forgive. We're more likely to take matters into our own hands. Let me finish uh, with a story from India of forgiveness. Uh, I don't know whether you heard of this Family, the Staines family, Graham and Gladys Staines, they were missionaries uh, in India since 1965. So for 30 years, they committed themselves to work in a leprosy clinic. Uh, they helped translate the Bible uh, into the local languages and they proclaimed Jesus and saw people become Christian in India. But in 1999, um, the father, Graham, and his two sons were burnt to death uh, by members of a Hindu fundamentalist group. And that rocked the Western world. That shocked the Western world. But not as much as it shocked Hindu India uh, when Gladys Staines did something after her husband's death. She actually stayed on and she continued the, the mission of mercy uh, to the people of India. I think she was there for up to five years. Um, she publicly said to India... Um, I forgive the perpetrators. Um, she publicly prayed for the perpetrators. Uh, and Indians had never seen that level of grace and mercy shown. And, and nothing was more powerful than that to say to India, this is what Christianity is about. Jesus forgives, you can be forgiven, and you need to forgive, and I can forgive. You can see where it's at tonight, Romans 12, big punch, big sting at the end of the chapter. Don't let evil win. It's the final verse there. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the summary. Don't repay, don't take revenge. Um, when people start it, you finish it with love and good deeds. Leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's judgment. Be like Jesus, be transformed. Think differently about your enemies. Worship God as you love your enemies. 
as you live your life as a living sacrifice. I'm going to pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we're humbled that you have shown mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. Um, Father, help us again to appreciate the deep, deep mercy you've shown to us at the cross. Uh, We pray even tonight, as we reflect on that uh, from Romans 12 and as we um, reflect again as we celebrate communion together, please instill that deep in our hearts that we are a forgiven people. Uh, Father, please keep transforming us. Help us to live a life of sacrifice. Uh, Help us to be different people. Help us to be people of genuine love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Father, help us to have a radically different view of our enemies. Father, thank you that in your kindness and your mercy, you loved us when we were your enemy. We pray that we can do the same. Lord, help us as we struggle to forgive. Help us to uh, be patient in a world that is fallen and broken, uh, where reconciliation is not always possible, where there is injustice. Father, help us to lean on you, to trust you, to know that the great judgment is coming. And we pray it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. After the sermon, we also had a time of Q&A where people submitted questions and our pastor answered them. And we've included that as part of the podcast here now. There won't be any hard questions on this topic. (laughs) Let's see. I actually, um, I've lost it on my phone, so I'll have to log back in. It's up there on the screen for you. There we go. Um, so Kelly's asked our first question, how long do you try to restore friendships that require a lot of grace and forgiveness? And when is it appropriate to end that relationship for your own well-being? Yeah, what a great question. Yeah. And I think it's perhaps why Kelly might have asked it. It's a tricky one and requires wisdom. So I don't know whether there's a right, wrong answer to that one. Sure. Require wisdom. And you'll, you'll feel yourself leaning in two different directions. I think we'll either be really quick to cut someone off and you go, I, I actually haven't put any much effort into grace and forgiveness um, and I need to, right? I've, mm. I've, I haven't, as far as it depends on me, I haven't made much effort at all. Um, or you'll be down the other end and this is becoming increasingly unhelpful for you and your well-being, in which case you have done all you can. I reckon it also depends on the, on the relationship. Um, so uh, what commitment have you made to that person in that relationship is pretty important. Uh, we don't, we're not tied to... I mean, marriage is different. <laughs> we're committed. Yeah. Uh, we need to work hard. Uh, but we can't uh, restore every friendship and every relationship. And uh, I don't think that that's possible. So thinking about... Where does it fit mm. in terms of my commitment to them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Might be helpful. Yeah. It's a so one, more just a wisdom thing. Definitely a wisdom than thing. A right or wrong thing. Yeah. 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 Great. Um, what, on the other side of that, what if I am an enemy and I need to be forgiven, but I, I'm not aware of that? Yeah. What? what yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. <laughs> There's not much you can do about it, is there? <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's really helpful. Um, forgiveness re- means when you... Forgiveness is about acknowledging a wrong and then for, being forgiven or offering that forgiveness. Yeah. So a key is acknowledging the wrong. 
Uh, and it's why we've got to be good and gracious at going to an enemy and saying, actually, this has hurt me or this is the sin against me, and doing that graciously and well, giving them an opportunity to repent, mm-hmm. and then you can extend forgiveness. Because it is, to forgive someone is to say, you've both wronged me and I don't hold it against you. Um, if If you're not aware of that, then there's not much you can do. Right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So it's it almost is the responsibility then of the forgiver to let to let the hmm. the person the, the one who wrongs them know. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Okay. There you go. Um, and can you explain a little <laughs> more about um, yeah how the passage in Deuteronomy ties? Yeah, yeah. To forgive. Well, let's have a look at it again. Um, it's the direct quote of Romans that's in Romans chapter twelve. So there's. There's your first clue. Um, uh, so the quote, um, don't take revenge is mine to avenge, is, is a quote from Deuteronomy. Um, and I think it's... Um, I think if, as you read Deuteronomy chapter 32, um, what you start to see is God saying... Um, this is the kind of God I am and I'm not like the God, gods of the nations, okay? How extraordinary um, that God is a God of mercy and kindness and that leave it to me kind of God, don't take matters into your own hands, that is unique. Like, mm. sometimes we don't think that's unique because we're familiar with God and his mercy and grace and kindness and justice. Um, but when you consider him against the nations, that's a different God. That's a radically different God. I think that's what Deuteronomy 32 is about. Yeah, great. Yep. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, I think we've got time for one more. Um, and the, I think these two are a little bit similar. So you've already talked a little bit about abuse, mm. which mm. kind of ties in a little bit to this question. So what does it look like to love our enemies if they want our forgiveness so they can carry on doing the yeah. thing that hurts yeah. us. Yeah. So I think sometimes forgiveness and grace and mercy is mistaken for being a doormat. Mm-hmm. That I'm just going to lay down and you know people are going to abuse me, whether it's in a work relationship, a marriage, or whatever. But I don't think that's the case. I think I think we'll always open ourselves up for abuse. So a stingy person, just just not, not on the serious abuse end, but you know. A stingy person doesn't get taken advantage of because they just don't give themselves generously, right? Mm. I remember in our church in Sydney, when we started giving out food vouchers and you know, a church was starting to get generous with... People started to take advantage of it. <laughs> that doesn't happen unless you're generous, right? No. Um, so we're the very people that could be taken advantage of because we want to be generous. Mm. But I think we've got to work out where's the point where, no, no... Um, uh, forgive, well, first of all, forgiveness means you actually need to acknowledge the wrong. Okay, so it's not forgiveness and reconciliation if they haven't acknowledged the wrong uh, and you haven't genuinely forgiven them for that. I think you'd add repentance as well, that they've actually turned from it. Mm-hmm. If their stance is still, no, no, I haven't done anything wrong, this is acceptable, I'm not repenting, I don't think that's forgiveness or reconciliation or repentance. Yep. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, and I think that helps us with perpetrators as well because what it says is that um, the balls in their court, are they going to acknowledge the wrong? Are they going to repent? And it also says that um, we need to make sure that people aren't in harm's way 
in the name of being gracious and forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, being forgiven. So whether that's in a marriage, whether it's a work relationship, whatever it is, there are times, and I think another question picked up on this, that there are times where, no, no, you need to separate out of that relationship because it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in God's kindness, hopefully, uh, the perpetrator can recognise the, the wrong and forgiveness can happen. And then you can work out what kind of, what reconciliation looks like. Yeah. Uh, Tricky area, but yeah. Mm, yep. yeah, yep. yeah, good one. Thanks for the okay. questions. Thanks, no Michael. Good. Um, We're going to do communion. Okay.